her restaurant unstoppable episode 375 the difference between what and who to me uh if you want to become a doctor that's what if you want to kind of restaurant owner that's a what who is tell me about a mentor tell me about a professor or tell me about a role model or tell me about a grandparent that you love and that you respect and that you admire and when we start hearing stories about that you know about your grandfather what you're telling me really is who you want to become. Like, yeah, my grandfather was loyal. He was hardworking. He was a patriot. He was a, my grandfather was a 39 year Marine Corps veteran. He was also a lover of his family and of his kids and of his neighbors. My grandfather allowed everyone into his dining room table. That was him. That was a, a function of who he was as a man and his big, generous heart. So that's my grandfather. All those things. That's what I want to be. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Toast is a simple restaurant platform only for restaurants that connects the POS system to online ordering, gift cards, loyalty, labor, sales reporting. You get the picture. This sucker is all in one. And recently, Toast received $101 million worth of investment, and they're celebrating by giving away $2 million worth of hardware to new customers who sign up with Toast by the end of September or until supplies last. To get your free hardware, head over to pos.toastab.com slash unstoppable 2017 or click the banner in the show notes. You have to use my links. Have you heard of Watsi, a.k.a. the Work Opportunity Tax Credit? Well, HireMe is a platform that connects amazing employers with amazing hourly workers, and it can hook you up with some Watsi. To learn more, head over to restaurantunstoppable.hireme.com. That's HireMe, H-I-G-H-E-R-M-E. And if you contact HireMe about Watsi services for a limited time, you will get three free months with their featured hiring software. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Mark Canlis. Mark, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Very unstoppable. Dude, I'm, I'm feeling unstoppable. This is like a milestone interview for me, your family, uh, what you guys have done, the values you have. I cannot wait for this interview. It's going to be a good one. So uh, <laughs> hailing, f- no, right, well, no pressure, we're, we're, no pressure, <laughs> no pressure, right? All right. right? I waited my whole life. Hailing from Seattle, Washington. Maybe if I deliver like half of what you're expecting, I'll be, I'll be happy with myself. It's already, it's already Not getting out. I love it, dude. I love it. So hailing from Seattle, Washington. Mark Kinless is a graduate of Cornell University and served as a captain in the Air Force Special Operations. After his service, Mark helped open famed restaurant tour Danny Meyer's Fifth Restaurant Blue Smoke in Manhattan. He returned back to Seattle in 2003 as a fourth generation co-owner of the family restaurant Canlis. Canlis is nationally acclaimed as one of the finest restaurants in America. I cannot wait to dive into your story and your advice and your mentorship. But first, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling. 
with a success quote or mantra? What do you got for us? All right, here's what I've learned. So if we boil it all down, I think that hospitality is about relationships. Mm. I think relationships are about trust. And if there's one thing that I'm trying to do, it is to be known as someone who is trustworthy. And uh, I just think that's a great place to start with. Dude, I love it. Where we're going to go in the conversation and whatever we're going to do in business and certainly in restaurants. I love it. And you mentioned uh, during one of the videos I watched that trust is the, I think the currency, the currency of hospitality or the currency. I can't remember the that's quote. That, exactly. That's how we talk about it. Right. Yeah. So like I, I think, I think of trust as the currency of relationship. That's I don't it. care if that's like you and your girlfriend or you and your cat or your dog or your, your grandmother, whatever those relationships are. Um, they're kind of riding on this platform of trust. And the more we have, uh, the better, the, the better we get along with one another, the more we understand one another. And the less we have, um, the more inefficient those relationships, um, the less fulfilling, the, uh, the more work they take. So, yes. um, so yeah, we, in the, at the restaurant, we talk about, uh, trust as being a, a, a currency of relationship, I love uh, it. kind oh. of the thing that may, that, that, like the, what the dollar is to the economy trust is to, um, you and all the people you know. Beautiful. Awesome way Awesome way to get this thing started. So um, usually this is where I have my guests go back to where it all started for them. But I feel like because of your family history, we, you know, it would only be right for us to kind of dive into where it all started for your family. It goes all the way back to like 1910. Was it when you opened, they, they opened the first restaurants? I don't know how far back our family goes. Um, I, I normally start the story like in 1908 or so. Um, my, my great-grandfather, his name was Nicholas, was coming from uh, Greece. He was a runaway, actually, from the island of Lesbos. Uh, family lore has it that he swam uh, to Turkey. According to Google Earth, that's like 5.1 miles. Um, so we don't know if that's actually true or if that's just sort of, um, you know, Canlis family sort of trying to pump itself up. But, <laughs> All right. Uh, most likely he probably took a boat that didn't want to land in a foreign country and they made him swim the last hundred yards or something. But he ends up uh, walking and hitchhiking all the way down to the Cairo, Egypt. Gets a job at the Hotel Mina, the Mina House um, down there, which is still operating today and quite a well-known establishment. And Teddy Roosevelt, coming off his presidency, uh, decided to go on a big safari. And he's staying at the Mina House. Um, and they meet. And Roosevelt had hired all kinds of people, about 150, some accounts, say up to 200 different stewards and cooks and various folks to, to help with this massive expedition. So they went um, hunting through Africa for a year or, or more, actually, a year and a half. And at the end... Um, I think he brought a lot of folks over and, uh, and they integrated. So ours is a, is a family of immigrants, the story of um, coming over from, from Greece and from my great grandmother's from Lebanon. And uh, those two fall in love um, and they moved to Stockton, California. And they opened a restaurant and we think in 1910 called the seafood palace, which is a lot about canvas that we like to hold on to in terms of our history and tradition. <laughs> We're glad that name didn't didn't come with us in the past. <laughs> we left the seafood house. Um, at one point, they have they have several restaurants and uh, and several kids. And so, um, one of whom, the oldest, was my grandfather. His name was Peter Canlis. And um, and following the long line of tradition, he uh, he runs away from home. Also, he leaves. He goes to Hawaii. Uh, sometimes we joke that he swam. <laughs> um, 
But uh, he ends up there and he's doing um, dry goods and all kinds of selling dry goods, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, Pearl Harbor happens. Yeah. And um, and like most people at the time, most people certainly that were in Honolulu or close to the base, he ends up helping out and kind of putting that back together a little bit. Um, but in as the story goes, uh, he's at the USO, the United Services Organization, which is newly formed to support the troops for the big war. Um, and he's talking smack, basically. He's talking a lot of smack. He um, There's no shortage of self-esteem, that man, and confidence, and just my nicest way to say it. Um, and anyway, the, the guy throws in the towel. He's like, hey, look, you think you can cook better than this? You do it. And he does. He takes over. In fact, he takes over all um, all the food on the USO uh, kind of for the remainder of the war and then um, and, and kind of makes a name for himself. He's serving 3,500 meals a day. These are troops that are coming and going in and out of the uh, European theater, typically, and the Asian theater and um, passing through Honolulu. So by the end of the war, um, he made a name for himself and he opens a restaurant called The Broiler in 1946, 1947 time frame. Um, and then shortly thereafter, he didn't own that place. He was just the guy running it. He opened Canlis in Seattle in 1950. That's, that's where the modern day story begins. If I get us at least in those first 50 years or so. Yeah. Um, um man, so y- you must have learned some lessons from your family, from looking back at your family history. And I don't want to spend so much time on your family because really this interview is about you, what you know to be true, your story, how you got to where you are. But what were the biggest lessons in reflection of what your family has done? And if you could take anything from your family story, like what are the big lessons for you? Sure. Um, Man, I feel like I should be on the on the therapy couch right now. Let's see. <laughs> it's not the my first time I've heard it. And, Maybe and I should dial it back. I learned about, <laughs> you know, where does my identity come from? Um, here's the deal. Here's a couple lessons that I've learned. One, and not to like seriously take it take it to therapy, but um, so much of who we are uh, comes from the people that came before us, mm. and yes. I just feel like that's true no matter what and that's something that that we get to claim and something that we get to own and um gosh you know there are bright spots to that story that i just told and there's some really dark dark ones too um i don't think i care who you are uh every family's got their strengths and their weaknesses got the highlights and got the lowlights and ours is no different um i could tell a, a different version of that tale that makes us seem kind of less bright and shiny um, but, uh, but that's a piece of who we are. And, and, it's, um, and I think my brother and I, Brian, who runs a company with me and, uh, the reason probably that I'm at all successful. Um, I, I think he and I have been learning to embrace kind of all sides of that. Um, okay. and, and to learn from the weak parts of it and to, and to run with the strong parts of it and to learn from your past. It doesn't mean you know, I often say it's like this. It's like you're, you're when you're driving, you spend most of the time looking through uh, the windshield and only a little bit of your time looking in the rearview mirror. And I feel like that's that's our past. That's our history a little bit. And yet um, there's a reason you got a mirror up there and there's a reason it's the size that it is, right? It's big enough to see what's happened behind you and to be aware of it and to take heed and to learn from it. Um, but it also doesn't block your view going forward. And I think that's how we try to run our company is to say most of our efforts is focused on what's in front of us, what's around us. 
but we do keep a close eye on where we came from and who those people were and what motivated them and what made them great and um and and what didn't frankly what lessons can we learn from their mistakes too and that sure has been a good launching point for for Canlas and for um, Mark, trying to take this company in the future. You're going to hate me, but I'm going to make you pull back a layer on that. I need one All thing. Right. One, What's one thing that was a strength? One thing that you, in reflection, when you look back at it, you go, man, I'm really proud to say that like, that's part of my family history. Like, What did they do right? Yeah, you're making me pull back a layer, but I'm gonna, we're going to do this twice because there's two <laughs> generations really to talk about. Okay. From Peter Canlis, I think that we've learned that trying to be the best is worth it. Mm. And he wanted that. He wanted that for his restaurant. He said, you know what? There's a better way to do this. I'm going to figure it out. I don't know how, but we're, I'm going to figure it out. And he went for it. And um, gosh, I just say, like, he had the balls to do that. And I admire that. I really do. I just think... Um, yeah, that's something I want for myself. I want my kids to look at me one day and say, oh, my dad went for it. You know what I mean? Like he just, he was, he was, he was all out. And to take it forward a generation. So Peter died in 77. My parents ran this company for 30 years. If I'm taking a lesson from them, um, it's those values. It's, it's that who you are matters more than what you do. Mm. And when we apply that into the restaurant business, um, I think we're looking at um, focusing on who the guest is and uh, putting them in the spotlight. And those are things that, that Brian and I just took directly from mom and dad. And I think we get a lot of credit for it, but let's just be honest. There's been 30 years watching those, those two run a restaurant and, and learn so much for them. So you're going to give just one lesson from, from my parents, and my grandparents. That's, that's one from each. Oh man, it's, not easy <laughs> it's worth being the best, and uh, you can't forget those core values. It's so important. And um, one more layer is getting pulled back, man. What were the biggest things yeah. that uh, weren't so great about what you learned from the past? One, because I mean, sure. I think we learned from those failures. So, what, take it to the dark side, right? Yeah, man. Um, let's see. Um, oh, jeepers! One. Why does it always have to be one? Let me just throw out a few <laughs> throw, out there. Yeah, yeah. Kind of just give like a, a painting of it. <laughs> um, let's just be real. The restaurant industry is tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it rips families apart. Mm-hmm. It's hard on marriages. It's mm-hmm. hard on kids. Uh, it's got the highest rates of alcoholism, depression, suicide, addiction, you name it. Um, true. We might be all smiles and candlelight out front, but it uh, this business has a dark side and yep. it tends to chew people up and spit them out. And, uh, you know, my grandfather was an alcoholic. Um, he also died of lung cancer. Uh, he was a man who, um, brilliant in many ways and prescient in the, in the decisions and the things that he was doing in the industry. Um, he was also married a few times and, and I would say, maybe not the best role models of father. And, and so, um, I, I, that's what I think of. I, I think he was a, he was a loving man, a caring man and a kind man, but to him, the restaurant was everything. Um, and it isn't to me to be totally honest. The restaurant is nowhere near everything. Um, I think, uh, I think our faith, I think my kids, certainly my wife, the, the relationships that I have with the people that are close to me and who I love, that's everything. Mm. And, and and I think we would not have learned that lesson as distinctly had we not had a grandfather that maybe showed us uh, the way not to do it. I, no matter who you work for, you're learning, right? You're learning how you want to do something or how you don't want to do something. And 
I was very young when he passed away. I was three. It was 1977. Um, so I don't, I don't know him per se, but I know stories of him. I certainly studied him. And, um, and that's a lesson that I learned is that there are more important things than your restaurant there are more important things than what you do in life or what you accomplish. And, um, I think I mostly learned that from my parents. So, um, Gosh, the dark side of them. Let's see. It's harder because, you know, they're still living. Be careful. Those are probably listening to this podcast right now. Hello, Mom and Dad. Um, look, we were raised in an incredible family, and anyone in the world would be lucky uh, to, to, to be raised with two parents who love one another, mm-hmm. still married, and, and who just raised us to, uh, to do the same, uh, certainly with my brothers. And, um, so, uh, but, but have they made mistakes? You bet. And I think that, uh, they've always been open and honest with that, with us and that, and they've always shown us their weakness. And, um, I think one amazing thing they did at Canlis was, was maybe to, uh, at a, at a time that was before this was really happening. This is the late seventies, early eighties was to really put the guests in the spotlight. Uh, um, and to, and to have them be the, um, the thing worth focusing on. Mm-hmm. I think what they lost in some of that was, was some of the restaurants, uh, pizzazz and flair and that sort of swank felt X appeal thing that, um, that you turn on a black and white film with a fifties, you know, and you've got just such a cool energy and a cool vibe. And, um, and I think that, that, uh, they're paying attention to values and to people and the employees was at a cost of some of that flair that makes a restaurant uh, magical. Yeah. And, and you know, I'd say that carefully. They ran a really successful yeah. place for 30 years. That's a long time in our business. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, but I think one thing that Brian and I are trying to do is to take the highlights of, of mom and dad and the highlights of our, of our grandparents and merge those things. What if we took the best of both worlds? And what if we learned from the worst of both worlds? And that's, that's what we're doing today. Dude, I can't wait to dive into how you're – taking canvas in a new direction, but I feel like we should stay true to chronological order and uh, let's kind of make it about you now and how you, you kind of got in. I mean, obviously you were born into the industry, but did you always know that you were going to be working in hospitality? Did you have other aspirations? Like take us through. Uh, hell no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so no, uh, we didn't think that was going to happen at all. Um, I mean, look, there were years, the way we were raised was just, if you're lucky, the restaurant will be there when you're older. If you're lucky, you know, mom and dad aren't going to kill this thing and run it into the ground. And I don't care what restaurant you are. You are always on the edge of failure. And I don't say that to be some sort of fatalist, negative Nancy, but the bottom line, I mean, I was just at a meeting. I'm just coming out of it about 45 minutes ago. And this is a, a famous brand here in Seattle. I'm CEO looked at me and he said, well, yeah, you guys are, you guys are set. Right. And I said, Nope, I got to serve dinner tonight and no one knows how that's going to go. Yeah. We all know how this works. We're as good as our last meal, mm. period. I don't care what your reputation is or who you are, what kind of restaurant you think you run last night is what matters most. And, um, and so last night we did okay. So, you know, I'd say we're a pretty good company, but tonight we got to prove that all over again. Yep. If you ever played sports, it's the same exact thing. So, um, yeah, for, for you, you want to make the story about us. It's really the story about Brian and I, not just me. We took over in 2003. He came back in 2005. I was coming out of the military at that time. 
uh, and so is he actually. And we didn't know we wanted to do it. We just thought, gosh, I can't, the restaurant's still here. And uh, we weren't expecting that. And um, I was loving my job in the Air Force. I just thought the world of it. But it's weird when your parents call and say, hey, we're getting tired and we can't do this forever. And what would you, how would you feel if we sold it? And I'll tell you what, for the very first time, I sort of woke up to the realities of generational transfer and family business. And I just said, I wouldn't feel good about it. And so came back um, just to try it out. And the board of directors kicked me out. There's no way you can work in this place. You don't know enough. So I went to New York for a couple of years, mm. kind of at their request um, to get my feet wet again. I already worked in a bunch of restaurants by then, but, um, but you know, not professionally, not as my career and uh, no better place in this country than, than New York, I think, to do that. Yeah. Danny was kind enough to take me in, and uh, I tried to learn everything I could from that man. I went to his orientation three times. I was <laughs> just with him and telling him in that story. I'm like, hey, that's why I kept showing up. I just wanted to learn from him. And oh, man. he put up with so many mistakes on my part. They all did. Blue Smoke was, a, was, Blue Smoke was such a fun project, but... Man, so Man, I had to figuring out to do. There's so much value in that lesson of just the power of surrounding yourself with amazing people. And if you want to be the best, you got to surround yourself with the best and you will be the average of those you surround yourself with. So I do want to dive into that experience you had uh, working with Danny Meyer, helping him open Blue Smoke. Uh, but I'm curious. I'm, I think I'm a little confused. You went to Cornell University, then you went to the, the Air Force, correct? Yeah, I did. You, um, you know, Cornell being known for its hospitality program, did you study hospitality there? I did. Yeah, I thought that was like a good place to start and understood the school to be sort of a a, a wide base to, to learn from. And, and yet um, I didn't feel hemmed in by it in any way. Um, and then I just got interested in the military. I, I had always wanted to be a pilot and – um, ended up getting a scholarship through the ROTC program. So that, that worked hand in hand. I didn't have money to pay for Cornell. Um, and, uh, so they paid for school and, um, that was a little weird for them at first. I, I don't think a lot of people had come through that program before and done the hotel school, but, um, it turned out, turned out great. Actually. I just want to learn a ton. <laughs> I want to interject real quick because I think there is a, a, a lesson here or some value somehow, somewhere we'll figure it out, but you grew up in one of the the country's most renowned restaurants. Uh, you went to culinary, or not culinary school, but hospitality school at Cornell, one of the best programs in the country. And you served under one of the best militaries, or if the best military in the world. And you came back, and you went to potentially take over your family business. And they said, you don't have what it takes. So... What pretty was, much? Yeah, like I can't just shrug that <laughs> off, man. Like what? What were you missing at that point? Um, a higher paycheck for sure. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Dad paid me forty one thousand dollars the year I came back after a Cornell grad uh, program and after the military and all that kind of thing. He and I always joke about that. He he wouldn't call me client. Here's what I was missing. Um, look, Cornell's amazing. I got. Uh, huge respect for that school. Um, I probably learned more about the restaurant business in the air force than I did at Cornell. And I I don't say that flippantly because so much of our business is about people. 
And uh, when you're in college, that's a good time. I don't know if you're quite mature enough to figure it all out. And it, for me, at least, it took another four years just kind of growing up and understanding my own identity and my own relationship to folks. And, um, and the military is just an amazing training ground for that. But that doesn't mean you're at all qualified to run a company. My God, like, think about it. You don't know, you don't know up from down when you're 27. So, um, or maybe I just won't make that universal. I'll just speak from my own experience here. I wasn't already. And, um, and I needed, um, just to be exposed, particularly to run a restaurant like Canlis, you're trying to be the best at something and, and you're, you're picking a fight with, with the best restaurants around the world. Um, that's, that's, that's the heavyweights. And, uh, and I had never lived in New York city. I had not dined through that city as much as I needed to. And I wanted to learn from the best. And, mm -hmm. and to me, that was Danny mm -hmm. to be able to open a restaurant was an experience that I wanted to do. Um, for anyone who's ever been through that, you know, there's just no describing it to people who haven't done it. Uh, I've not, I'm not a woman, never had a baby, but I imagine it's the same thing. Either you've done it or you haven't. And there's those two sides. And I wanted to open a restaurant and, um, and, and he was gracious enough to let me be a part of that team. So, um, I had a lot to learn and I'll tell you what, I still feel that way. I, I in, in many ways, I still feel like we are just figuring out how to run this place. Um, never again, ends, though, and you're always going to continue to learn. It doesn't it's end. never ending. Yeah. I don't think it, sh I don't think it should end. Um, so that's just sort of our take. And I, um, I think the, the board was really wise to, to say, hold up a second here. Um, you should go get some more experience. And I, I really respect them. Yeah. For that. And I, I want to dive into some of the lessons you picked up from the man, Danny Meyer. Uh, but real quick, you, you mentioned you learned a lot about the restaurant biz or more about the restaurant biz in the military, specifically about people. So what did you learn about people in the military that you are applying in the restaurant business? Yeah. I, um, what I learned about people, a lot of what I learned, I guess, was about myself. Um, Ooh, okay. But I, I, I there's value in yeah, that. Yeah. So you know, we're gonna, <laughs> we'll go there. Um, but I learned about leadership and, uh, I think I learned that people follow people. I, I had an incredible boss. His name was Colonel Mueller. He's still around out there. I hope he's listening to this. Um, boy, he taught me, uh, how to inspire someone and how to lead and what that really looked like. And, you know, we can all lead a little bit, but we know the difference between the guys that just, um, you just want to work for. And, uh, and I wanted to be one of those and he certainly was. And, um, okay. he got the best out of me. And <laughs> so I, I think there's a way to do that. And I think the military is a, is a, is a, a great place to learn that. Um, and so for us, that was, that was a lot about trust. It was a lot about expectations and excellence. It was a lot about, um, being the best and special forces has a, um, has this mantra. It's called anytime, any place. And it's this idea that, um, if anyone can do it, it's you, it's this team, it's this group, it's this base. Um, and you just, you're, you're taught that you're trained that you're, you're not, you're not born that way. None of us, none of those guys in special ops are born that way. Yeah. They might be, uh, I don't know, naturally physically fit or something, but they all are working for it. They're all working for it. And you learn that mentality. You just get this thing in you. It just says, you know what? 
there's no one else to here to save the day. So it's going to be us, you guys. And, and, uh, and we're going to figure it out or we're going to die trying. And, um, you know, I had a relatively very easy job in special ops. I was helping to fix airplanes, but you're spending time with guys who are putting their life on the line every day. And you learn those lessons of there's no one to bail you out. So you figure it out and you make it happen. And in order to do that, you need the people around you. You love those guys and you learn to work with them in a way that, um, it just made it a little tighter knit and more trusting than, um, than a lot of opportunities, a lot of other teams. So, that's certainly one of the things that I learned Dude. in my time. In the <laughs> oh, man, Mark, this is awesome. Uh, I'm loving what you're giving us. And you quickly mentioned uh, you learned how to inspire people or this, this uh, I don't know if it was a general or wh- whoever you're working with taught you how to inspire people. So in like one sentence, how do you inspire people? <laughs> All right. I don't want to mince words. But this is really important. I don't inspire people. I hire someone. I just said, look, if I'm your inspiration, we're all screwed because <laughs> I'm as imperfect and uninspiring as anybody on the planet. Right. Uh, we all are. We're all broken. We're all not heroes. We all have our, our moments of wanting to crawl into a corner and disappear. Right. So if the, if the business plan is that Brian and I are going to be these these champions, these people to put on a pedestal. And you know what? That's not how it works. Um, so I want to bring people into our company who are inspired and who are growing and who are becoming. I think growth is inspiring. So again, when I'm bringing somebody in, I'll just let them know, like, look, I'm not your raw, raw guy. I'm not going to be on the sidelines cheering you on as you go serve a table. That's not how this works. You bring something to the table and I bring something to the table. And the thing that we bring is our full selves. Mm. Like you've got it. I've got it. Anyone listening has the ability to do it. You, you, you come wholeheartedly. You come with your full self. You come um, with a comfort in your own skin and knowing that um, you bring value and that also you have a lot to learn. And when we talk about growing people, uh, maybe I just can move into this right now. That's what I saw out of Colonel Mueller. I saw a man who was willing to share with me who he wanted to become, not what he wanted to do. That guy wanted to take over the world. He had huge aspirations, and that can be inspiring. You could also, that could be crazy making. Um, but he showed me the kind of man he wanted to be. And whether that's Colonel Mueller or Danny Meyer or certainly my father in spades, I think they're. I've had role models in my life, uh, men who have played a key role and women um, who have just showed, hey, this is, this is what you do. Um, it's like uh, the difference between what and who to me. Uh, if you want to become a doctor, that's what. If you want to become a restaurant owner, that's a what. Who is, um, tell me about a mentor. Tell me about a professor or tell me about a role model tell me about a grandparent that you love and that you respect and that you admire. And when we start hearing stories about that, you know, about your grandfather, what you're telling me really is who you want to become. Like, yeah, my grandfather was loyal. He was hardworking. He was a patriot. He was a, my grandfather was a 39 year Marine Corps veteran. He was also a lover of his family and of his kids and of his neighbors. My grandfather allowed everyone into his dining room table. That was him. That was a, 
a function of who he was as a man and his big, generous heart. So that's my grandfather. All those things, that's what I want to be. So when we're hiring somebody, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for who are they hoping to become. And when I hear those stories, it's inspiring to me. And hopefully when I'm sharing with my staff who I want to become, it's inspiring to them. It's the growth, I think, that we're all attached to. It's the growth in someone that we all get inspired by. Um, and so that's, it's a, it's a mincing of words, but I don't think that, um, I don't think that I'm the inspiration here. I, um, I think it's uh, the change in someone that is the inspiration. Man, that makes sense. It absolutely does. And I'm loving every second of this. Don't become a what's become a who is what I got out of that. And become uh, a who. Yeah. yeah. Focus on who. Awesome, man. Uh, all right. Let's transition to this. Uh, let's call it a, 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 a long stage under <laughs> Danny Meyer, uh, learning sure. under Danny. <laughs> what, what were the biggest Two lessons? Two-year paid stage. Yeah. Right? <laughs> what were the, uh, the lessons you learned working under such a great man. Holy moly. How much time do you have? Do we have? Just um, give me three, man. Give me three. If you can just narrow it down, like the three biggest things that you took from him and his operation that you took with you to canvas. Hmm. All right. Um, Danny is not afraid to reinvent himself and his company. And, um, I'm, I've always been impressed by that. Um, Danny is also, um, a man who looks you in the eyes and really listens to you. And that's cool. But I don't want to say this about him. I don't want to say he's a good listener. I want to say that when he looks you in the eye and keeps that gaze, he's allowing himself to be seen. He's allowing himself to be known. And that's a scary thing. Uh, it's a vulnerable thing. And um, I think he's strong enough to do that. And it's something that always impressed me, uh, continues to impress me, is I think he's willing to be known. He's willing to be known by his staff. He's willing to be known by his guests. Um, and, uh, and I think that draws people to him. I think that is the kind of thing that makes you want to work for a man. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, I just think it's uh, like one of his best character traits is, is just a willingness to like kind of put himself out there and say, hey, this is me. This is where I'm coming from. So this is my idea. What do you guys think? So, when, when you say willing to be known, do you mean willing to be vulnerable, willing to be transparent, open, like what you see is what you get? Um, I'm, not, I'm not quite yeah, sure if I fully I, understand. I, I think all of us deep down again, we're back on that therapy couch, but I think all of us want to be known and loved. Mm. I think that's about as deep as it gets. We want to be known and wanted. We want to be known and understood. We want to be known and liked anyway Mm -hmm. for what they discover about us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think Danny's really good at that. I also think, I mean, everyone talks about, he's such a great man. Um, Uh, all the values of his company and they're all, it's all true. It's all great. He's also just like wicked smart. I just need people need to know this. <laughs> the guy has good ideas. And, and, uh, and if any, any time we go around and we start talking about values and all this sort of like warm, fluffy kumbaya stuff, look, 
he makes good decisions. He hires brilliant people who make good decisions and he's really smart. Um, so it's this combination of the two. It's this combination of, the, of a man with uh, um, admirable values and also a keen honed mind. But that's uh, that's why you like eating in his places. That's why everyone wants to wait in line for a Shake Shack burger, right? Like that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, so three years with Blue Smoke, um, and you decide that's enough time to or maybe somebody else decided that was enough time for you to come back and take over the family business. Uh, what things did yeah. you start doing differently to take well, Canlis in a new direction? Ball, it was only a year at Blue Smoke before they nearly fired me. Uh, oh, so really? Thank you to Richard Corain, who was my boss at the time and uh, early investor and partner in that company who sat me down and said, you know what? I think you could be better and you're not good enough. And we're going to move you to a different part of the company and give you a second shot. So again, uh, I don't want to paint this as a rosy picture of Mark's, you know, happy take over the restaurant life. Um, that was a low moment. That was, uh, I remember my buddy, Randy Grudy, he's a long time friend of mine. And, uh, he looked at me, he was working with the company at the time and he was the one that actually brought me into the company. And, uh, he said, Candles, hey man, you got to get your act together. <laughs> You're better than that. Wait, where were you falling and, short? Uh, he, oh, sorry. Finish your story. Right. Sir. Well, no. So, um, where was I falling short? Boy. Um, you know, I think, I think I gave a really good effort to get that restaurant going. I think that I didn't really have the gas in me to take it to where it needed to get to. And I was too attached to some of my ideas. I was too attached to some of our systems. Like, gosh, you know, we built this thing and, and this is the way it's got to be. And I think, uh, I think Richard needed someone who was willing to maybe sacrifice some of those early ideas for better ones. And, and I think I was, maybe it was my pride just holding on to the way that I wanted to do it. I also just think I was kind of naive and, and wet behind the ears when it came to understanding restaurants and how they worked. And those guys, uh, they put up a lot with me. So, so what was it about uh, you that made them hang on to you? What was the thing that you did have that they, they well, saw in you? That... Can I send you a photo? Can we FaceTime? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was not my look. That's why we're doing this a podcast <laughs> and not a, not a TV show. Um, Let's see. What was it about me? Um, you know, I'm, um, let's see. What was it about me? Huh. Um, I'm not stupid and, um, I'm awfully hardworking. Mm. And I think, um, if you're earnest and if you're honest, those are separate things. Um, and if you're willing to put in the time, um, and take your licks and get back up, uh, I think people have a hard time saying no to folks like that. Um, I certainly do. And um, I was willing. He said, look, you can go back to Seattle. Or you can keep working for the company, but you can't stay here. And I was like, all right, bring it on. Um, I, I'm willing to I'm willing to, to get back up again. And I think um, that would be a lesson for anyone. You, you got to get off the mat. You know, you take a, take a square one in the jaw, it hurts. And it may knock you down, but you got to decide when you're lying there face down on the mat, am I going to get back up or not? And, um, I've always wanted to be the kind of person that got back up. And, uh, and so I think that's one of the things maybe that they saw. I don't know. 
That's awesome. Uh, man, usually like these interviews, like I look at the clock, I'm like, oh man, we're already at an hour. Like we're at 40 minutes and uh, it's not that like, you know, they 40 say, minutes. what's that? What do we got to cover? What, what, what do we, <laughs> we still got some time. What are we not? Uh, I don't even know. Are we on? Are we on track right now? Like, we are, dude. I'm so, so surprised. Okay, like, good. you have no idea how all worried right. I was going to be that. Like, I was just going to go off on like tangents all the time. You're like, doing, how in the world we're... am I going to keep them on for an hour? This is, this is going <laughs> to no, be impossible. It's, it's great. I was, I was. I'm just. I'm excited that we still have some time to because I feel like we've already gotten so much value and it's amazing. Uh, I want to kind of dive into more present time and what you are today yeah. and the the biggest lessons you learned uh in the the pivotal moments you had to kind of get you to where you are today okay like um boy a big lesson i learned coming back into the company you know i thought i had i thought it was all set rolling out of new york and um seeing three great restaurants union square cafe for a little bit i was at 11 madison park for a little bit um i've seen the big city and I thought it was good to go. Boy, did, was I wrong. Uh, my first few years back at Camelot were rough. And um, it just I just, you can't imagine how many mistakes I made. Um, so lesson I learned there, I think, was just a, a humility. And um, boy, uh, I don't even, that's a, that's a hard place to go to. Those were tough years. They, they were tough on the family. Uh, on, on mom and dad and I, I thought I was really close to my parents, but if you want to ever put that to the test, go work for them. And at the same time, uh, I learned the lesson that you, you, um, when, when you have a lot to learn and we all have a lot to learn, that doesn't also mean that you're not bringing value. And I think I was bringing value. And one of the lessons that was hard was to express that while also being a learner to express that with a lot of confidence, but also with the understanding that, um, you know, it may not be my place or my time right now to be changing things. And look, it's a, it's cliche that, that, um, that the new guy shouldn't be come in with a lot of suggestions, but it sure is tempting. And, um, particularly when you're put in a position of authority, uh, to try to make those changes um, early on can um, can really be damaging if you do them in the wrong ways. And I, and I think I made that mistake a couple of times. So, um, yeah, yeah so the first three years were, were tough. What did you – so you made that mistake. Dive into how we can – knowing what you know now, hindsight being 2020, what would you have done differently? How What re- advice do you have for somebody who's out there who's coming into a company, who's new, who wants to make change? But how do you do it tactfully? How do you do it the right way? Well, so I was coming into a company named Canlos with that as my last name. And I think that takes an extra measure mm-hmm. of, um, of humility and of patience and, um, and also just of like sort of badassedness. I don't know if that's an actual word, but I like it all of a sudden. I think Should you kind of, you need to earn it. And, and I had, um, but I could have done a better job earning it. I thought I kind of earned it. So I was good. And I think, I think like a restaurant, you need to earn it every day and, and, I would have, um, I think I would have brought a little bit more, um, I would have brought a little bit more to that, just a little more humility, gone a little bit slower and, um, and brought just a better version of, of myself into that game. I think I took a little bit for granted. Um, that said, we learned a lot about, uh, family run businesses. And one of the first lessons we had to do was figure out what is the point of this company? What is the mission? Like, why do we exist? Like, what is going on here? Are we just trying to serve people? 
food? Are we, are, is it, is the point to make money? Like, what is the point here? And, um, and so we, we fought long and hard and fought's the wrong word. We, we wrestled with this topic. We, uh, we threw stuff down on paper and we put it up on the wall and we tear it down a week later. And so that's not it. Um, and that, that for us became that statement of, uh, our mission statement. And, and to me, that's to live out and grow the idea that it's worth putting other people first. Like that to me was so important to understand like, okay, this is why this company exists to live out and to grow this idea that it might be worth putting someone else in front of yourself. And, um, that gave a lot of clarity. It gave clarity to me. And, um, from a leadership standpoint, I don't, I don't know how far you can go without having that kind of clarity for your staff and for your people. Everyone needs to know what the mission is. I learned that in the military. They call you up in the middle of the night and they say, get into base and you don't ask any questions on the phone. You roll out onto the flight line and there are helicopters taking off and other ones getting stuck inside of C5s and stuff. First question you're asking is like, what the hell are we doing here, right? What is the mission, right? And like, oh, okay, yeah, there's a drug lord. He took over a bunch of hostages. We're going to go get the hostages. Cool. Okay, now everyone knows what's going on. You've got to know, like, what are we here to do? Oh, we're here to go get the hostages. So for us in the early days of taking over Camus, um, defining that was super important. The next thing we define is, okay, well, um, what does that look like? What does that look like done really well? And we had to we had to fight through that. And then who are we? Those are your values. Like, what kind of people are we? And the question I ask on every interview is, how we're working at Canvas help you become who you're hoping to become? And I don't think that's fair to ask without sharing a little bit yourself. And so for me, that's who I'm hoping to become. I'm hoping to become trustworthy and generous and other-centered. Those are the values of those are my own values. Those are aspirational. I don't think I've accomplished them necessarily. And those are the aspirational values of our company as a people. So I got a hundred staff now and um, I am expecting every one of them to champion those three ideas and they're going to have their own too. But when you're at Camus, um, those things mean a lot and they have to, or, or it's just probably not the right place for you. Man. Real quick, so those are all things in the early days that we were, that we were learning and trying to figure out real quick. What are the, the three things again, just to list them out real quick. Yeah, so trustworthy. So again, um, talk about hospitality. Uh, we're talking about relationships. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about the ability to earn someone's trust, period. Um, generosity, that is not a financial term in my book. Uh, it's not a financial term necessarily in the dictionary. Um, generosity is speaking to your ability to carve out space for somebody or something. Um, so it's a, it's a condition of the heart. It's a condition of somebody's character. Uh, it's not a condition of their wallet, and um, and it's a standard at Canvas. And then other-centered is just my, the opposite of the word selfish. I think my mom, I don't know if that is in the dictionary. I should look it up. But it's like, you know, not selfish. <laughs> the <laughs> opposite of selfish. Yeah. It's the people who understand the world doesn't revolve around them. Uh, maybe, it's a, maybe it revolves around something else. And um, it's a bigger place than just your... Uh, your perspective, your bias, your story. The world is a lot bigger than your understanding of it. And that to us is what other-centered means. And um, again, those are things that I hope someone's saying at my funeral or carve onto my gravestone or something like, hey, I don't care if they say he was successful. But like, hey, this guy tried, but, but at least he was these three things, right? That's what I'm looking for is 
um, this is who he was. So that's awesome. Uh, I think uh, I think focusing on that stuff just allows us to um, to not be wasting our time when we're at work. Yeah. We start talking about the real issues of what we're doing. It makes work a whole lot more fulfilling. Yeah, and to, to kind of bring it back, uh, one other thing you mentioned—the whole idea of just putting, like, living to serve others and existing for others. Uh, what happens to your culture? What's the outcome of your culture when you do live to serve others? What happens to, to your company? What, what do people do? Um. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned it well, during your talk. Uh, I mean, go for it. Sorry, it sounds like you had you, a thought came into your head. Yeah, no. Um, I think what happens is that um, I think that humility that I was wanting and hoping for, I think that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, humility is not something you can download and install like an updated app. It's something you have to grasp. And um, I think when you start learning the stories of other people, I don't care who that is. That's other races. That's people of different backgrounds. That's people of different privileges. That's people who just don't look and act like you. Um, I think what you start doing is realizing that they are every bit as human, every bit as lovable as you are. And that's a lesson that I think just takes getting out of your own head and getting out of your own skin to learn. Um, so, I don't know. I think it looks like a work environment where um, you're able to make space for somebody. It, it's the thing that allows you to be generous to to a stranger. Awesome. It is the thing that allows you to be generous to not a stranger. To, to my brother, uh, Brian always talks about true north, you know, like um, somebody hurts your feelings. I mean, he and I work hand in hand together, right? But all the time, we're stepping on each other's toes. And if I respond to the pain in my toe, the the feelings that have been hurt and, and kind of lash out at him, I'm responding to him and probably not his best moment. But if I think to myself, okay, this is your brother who loves you and for so many years has been so faithful to you and growing who you are. Like, gosh, he's done something weird that hurt my feelings. I bet that was not his, his true north. I bet that wasn't his best intention. I bet that's not the best reflection of who he is. Why don't I respond to who he is and ask him about it? Right. So that takes generosity on my part. Like my toe hurts. He stepped on it. My feelings are hurt. He, he did that. If I asked the question like, Hey man, um, that comment was kind of rubbed me the wrong way. What's going on? Are you okay today? What like, are, like are you having a, right? Like if I'm, if I'm giving him that charitable assumption, I think is what Danny calls it. Um, then I'm making space for him, right? That is an othered centered and generous approach. And that's, um, you know, charitable uh, assumption, giving the benefit of the doubt, uh, just being empathetic is what I'm hearing from you. And then communicating it, are all these things that are coming out from this, this conversation. Yeah, I, should, I should ask you the questions because you just have a lot shorter, better answer than I do. I'm just kind of long. <laughs> well, it, it's only because I write down single <laughs> yeah. words as you're talking. Like the words that come to my totally mind. Here, yeah. I cheat. I cheat. Be uh, empathetic. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Here's the thing. It isn't just empathy, right? Like it isn't. And I'm not, I don't take anything away from that word. Um, here's the thing. You look at hospitality, that word, if we break down the Latin, um, it means to make space for, right? I think it's like hospitalitas or something. I don't, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Um, if we study the, the origins of that word, where, where hospitality came from, um, it was people making space for strangers. 
This is hospitality is not talking about, you know, putting out on your some social network that you're gonna invite a bunch of people over and pop a bottle of wine and hang out. That's hanging out with your friends. Hospitality is making room for someone you don't know. It's making room for something you don't understand. It's it literally was making room for a stranger in the northern Europe areas, Scotland and whatnot. It even went a step further. Further, it implied that you would protect them, even to the death. Right. So when we talk about the hospitality business, we're not talking about popping champagne corks and eating off of silver spoons. What we're talking about is having someone who is different from you. I want you just to use your imagination. <laughs> Very different from you. And carving out space for them, space inside of yourself, saying to yourself, I want to consider their world, where they came from, what this looks like and tastes like and feels like to them. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a safe space for them in my restaurant for the next three hours at this table because that's what we do, right? It doesn't mean that we agree with them. It doesn't mean that we are them, that we can even sympathize or understand them. It's carving out a safe space for them. That's the restaurant business. And that's what makes it so hard. <laughs> On that note, that I think, sense? yeah, man, you're crushing it. I'm loving every second of this interview. I'm like glowing over here right now. Smiles ear to ear. Uh, we're going to take a break to thank our sponsor and we'll be right back for the speed round. Ever since episode number one, Restaurant Unstoppable has been tracking the most recommended technologies from our past guest mentors and Toast is at the top of that list. With Toast, you get online ordering, gift cards, loyalty, labor, sales reporting, ELO, kitchen grade monitors, and handheld tablets to empower your staff. That's right. No more traffic jams at the POS system. Toast customers have experienced a 20% increase in revenue via improved throughout, 3x increase in tips from digital signatures, and a 50% increase in online ordering after switching to the Toast platform. Recently, Toast received 101 million dollars worth of investment and they're celebrating by giving away two million dollars worth of hardware to new customers who sign up with toast before the end of september or until supplies last to get your free hardware head over to pos.toasttab.com slash unstoppable 2017 or click the banner in the show notes you need to use my links whether you're hiring a line cook, server, host, or manager, hiring is a time-consuming endeavor. However, there is a little-known way to lower your costs per hire. It's called WOTC, or Work Opportunity Tax Credit. By hiring qualified workers from certain target groups such as veterans, SNAP recipients, and individuals living in empowerment zones, you can potentially receive thousands of dollars in tax returns. Hire Me is all about maximizing employer effort and Watsi is one great way to do just that. If you want to be guided through the Watsi process every step of the way, visit restaurantsunstoppable.hireme.com. That's Hire Me, H-I-G-H-E-R-M-E. And if you contact hiring me about Watsi services for a limited time offer, you will receive three months of free hiring software. Get on it. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Mark, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait or a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Short answer. Yeah. 
trying to be someone who's trustworthy. Beautiful. And what is your biggest weakness? Uh, I have so many of them. <laughs> um, pride, being terrible at uh, complimenting people. And I always just bring out like, <laughs> see what's wrong instead of seeing what's right. Um, I'm not a very good encourager. Uh, I have no eye for details whatsoever. So it takes like an army of people to get, you know, things done. Uh, how many do you want? I got a lot. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to, so would you say you're a pessimist? No, I'm a complete optimist. Okay. I think everything's possible, which also weakness. I'm like an optimist to a fault. I'm like, the world will get better. And everyone's like, no, <laughs> No, um, definitely not a pessimist. Okay. <laughs> um, what? No, but I do. But I do. Uh, yeah, I do tend to. I do tend to correct, and sometimes overcorrect. Okay. So, what is yeah. one, one piece of advice you have for leading others? Um. Be real with them. People can see through you. And so you have one option and that is to be known and to let them choose if they're going to follow you. You can't game them. You can't pitch them. You can't fool them. Um, you can be the kind of person worth following or not. And they're going to make their own decisions. Be a who. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> be some, be somebody worth following. Yeah. Awesome. That's not really a good piece of advice. That's like using the definition in the definition, but I think you get the picture. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's good. Uh, what's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Oh, then my number one question, hands down, how will working here help you become who you're hoping to become? And what's what looking to me. for? I'm looking for someone um, who's ready to grow, somebody who's comfortable in their own skin, somebody who embodies the values. I'm looking for someone that I could take a road trip with and not kick them to the curb when I got across the country. <laughs> like We should be able to leave Seattle, get to Boston, be mid-conversation, and be like, cool, let's just drive home again, and like, and still enjoy one another's company. If I get the sense when I'm interviewing you that when I get to like – I don't know, the middle of South Dakota, you're done, then it's not going to work, right? There should be that connection. It should be easy. Awesome. And uh, what's a current challenge today? Right now, your biggest challenge? 67-year-old restaurant, <laughs> leading and being the most relevant place on the planet will always be a challenge. How are you overcoming that? <laughs> We're going to need another hour for that one. <laughs> Um, the bottom line is we treat the restaurant like we treat a person, right? So if I'm expecting you to grow, I'm expecting the restaurant to grow in the same way. That is a new place every year. I feel like we open a new restaurant every year. It changes that much. And at the same time, you cannot lose your identity. You cannot lose who you are. We're 67 years old, right? So I'm not trying to become the next youngest, hippest, trendiest next thing. I'm trying to understand who Canlis is, what it was created to be. And in 1950, Peter set out to think the best restaurant in America. We have to ask the question today, what does that look like and what does that feel like tonight? And you just keep asking that question and answer it as best you can. Beautiful. What's one thing besides food your restaurant does that separates you from other restaurants? Mm, 
it sees you. Okay. What do you mean by that? I mean, some restaurants you feel like you're just sitting down and getting strapped into a roller coaster and tossed around and taken for their ride. And ours sees you. It hears you. It molds and bends itself to you. And beautiful. That kind of sounds weird, but no, that's what's it's, happening. It's awesome. Does that makes sense. Like that's that's the goal. I love it. It makes complete sense. And what is one book that is a must read that will make us better people or restaurant owners? You can't say Danny uh, Meyer saying the table. One book. You can't say Danny Meyer saying the table. Cause that's a, uh, a, I love Danny. No, <laughs> you know what? Here's what I would do. I would start reading the classics. Is that okay? Can I say that? Yeah. What are the, I would read books that have been around longer than a hundred years like and Bible? are still popular. <laughs> and I think you'll be good to go. If you don't like that answer, then I would read the road back to you, which is a book about the Enneagram and it's been awesome for our team and our leadership staff. So. The road back to you in what is one book that's been around for a hundred years that we should read? Uh, um, the only Victor one I can Hugo think of is quite get us, what's that? That that I was going to say, Victor doesn't quite get us that old. Um, I would read uh, Mark Twain. Yeah. I think he knew more about relationships than anyone gave him credit for. And um, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn. If you get to any of that stuff and really read between the lines, I think he was oh yeah genius. There's always underlying message. Yeah. Um, what is one piece of technology Canlis has adopted and how is it having an impact on efficiency, communication, profitability, uh, anything along those lines? Uh, one piece of technology. Like a software hmm. or an app or... Uh, yeah, I mean, look, reservation systems are a big deal right now. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, draw lines in the sand here, but, um, we just switched and I think that there's going to be a lot of, a lot happening in that space, uh, as well as in the point of sale system. I think everyone listening to this knows that, um, there's a lot of resting on the laurels in that, in that world. And there's a lot of sort of like old technology and, and we're all waiting for the 21st century to sort of hit. And, um, and it is right now. And so I think we've been paying attention to that and, um, recently and it's, and it's definitely helping. So wait, so what specifically, uh, are you paying attention to? Like what, uh, are you expecting? I, to change? Um, so I think the way that, um, the way that people are making reservations, whether you use an open table or talk or resi, um, you know, those are all good platforms and they have their strengths and they have their weaknesses. Um, and I think that the kind of restaurant you are and the way that people are finding you and the way that they're, making reservations, I think you have to pay a lot of attention to um, what software you're using and and just how you're addressing that. I also just think that if you haven't redone your website in the last, I don't know, 18 months, it's it's behind. And um, it, it, you, you, we can't we can't overstate how rapidly this stuff is changing and, and it's moving to cell use and it's not happening on desktops anymore. And we got to be ahead of that curve, not behind it. So I, I want to put something in the show notes that's actionable where somebody can go and click to go check something out. So which reservation platforms, uh, if you can't think of just one or you're t- you know, torn between two, which two I would, are- I would definitely go check out talk coming out of Chicago and, um, I would check out Resi. 
Mm. I think those two are are really leading the way in the, in the discussion for kind of what um, is next in the way we think about um, taking reservations, whether it's ticket system or whether it's reservations. Um, Talk and Resi are, are in my book doing the best job right now. Okay, and uh, you mentioned websites. Are there is there a service provider, a website, a host? Uh are there like like a bento oh, box out there geez. that you 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 think is worth looking into? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I recommend: have someone in your company like we do is way smarter than you at this stuff. <laughs> that's not my, that's not my jam. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't even know who he is. Oh, all right, and you mentioned real quick POSs too. What what do you think's changing in the the forefront of POS systems? Um, I think we're a few years away from all of that just completely changing. So whether you're holding on right now and about to change or whether you just did, uh, we're just going to see a lot more flexibility. I was talking to Seattle's got a lot of software guys around here and a lot of guys that write apps and, um, just in listening to their conversations and what's happening. Um, I think that that's going to be, uh, an exciting space for us coming up. So are you saying but, hold off a little bit or what, uh, what is it going to change? What do you think is going to be exciting? I, I'm sorry. I'm going to pull back. I, I wouldn't tell anyone to hold off because it's so restaurant specific. Like it's just, uh, it'd be like telling somebody what article of clothing to buy. No, you got to mm-hmm. go try on 12 pairs of jeans. And the one that makes you look like a rock star is the one. So, yeah. um, I just think that there's a lot of people making jeans right now yeah. and, and thank God, because it was like, we're coming out of like the, mom jean, dad jean era <laughs> and just sort of cool stuff. So we're just, we're ready for it and it's coming. So Are, are there like, is there uh, one or two platforms that you think are doing a really good job that you would say, go check out? Yeah, honestly, like I wouldn't, no, not right now. <laughs> okay. But again, that's just because that's not what I do. I got that's, you. I'm I got you. I tried. I put a, I put an honest effort yeah. in to get some stuff out of you. Dude. I know. <laughs> I could, I could tell. Yeah. All right. What is, uh, <laughs> we're also in discussion with you know, so. With all the knowledge you have now, if you could go back in time, say back to 2003, or maybe even further back when you start working for like Danny Meyer or something, and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Hmm. You just gonna like drop that on me casually here at the end. If one, <laughs> like one piece of business advice, what would it be? Um. One piece, really? One? And the short answer thing has never been a strength of mine. Uh, one piece of advice. Um, uh, let's see. Find mentors and do the hard work of figuring out what it is that you respect and love about them. And pursue those things more than anything else. I love it. Beautiful. And that's the piece I'd give. That's awesome, man. Uh, okay, so is there anything we didn't get to discuss that you were hoping would come up? Uh, now is the time to, to bring it up. Um, yeah, let's see. Let's see. Um, Again, I think that a lot of what we've been talking about is some of like the relational dynamics, the leadership dynamics, and um, kind of the what we call the fluffy stuff, uh, the art of what we do. Um, there's also a science to what we do, and I, I really think I don't want to 
downgrade or dismiss in any way the importance of, of leadership in these things. Um, but it isn't the entire story. And um, I think the other piece of the story is that you have got to be um, pushing yourself. You've got to be putting your best out there. Uh, the world deserves that. And you deserve that. And if you're not doing it, ask yourself the question, why not? Um, Canlis is successful, not just because it pays attention to its staff, not just because we're trying to be leaders that are worth following. We've also been successful because we have fought hard night after night after night to figure out what a great restaurant looks like. And sometimes I, we downplay that or we just, that gets passed over. It just gets assumed like, okay, I'm just going to run the menu out. It'd be awesome. No, it's not awesome. Like, you put a dish out there and you listen and you watch people eat it and you study them and you read between the lines. You take that dish back and you tell the chef, I think this could be one notch better. And you surround yourself with people who think that way, who say, you know what? Tonight was awesome. Tomorrow, we got this. Tomorrow's going to be even better. And um, it is not easy work. Um, but I do think it's worth it. I do okay. think it's worthwhile, particularly if we if we lump in the stuff we've been talking about here in the first hour. So. Man, Mark. We don't have time to get into all the details, <laughs> but that's, what, that's where I'd leave you with. This has been awesome. Uh, I've been looking forward to this interview for some time now, and I'm so happy and honored to get you on the show and to to share your advice. Uh, man, it was great. Uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant <laughs> operator? or two or wh- however many you can think of real quick uh, that you admire and think would make great guests on the show. Like you've made for us today. Is it cheating to say my brother? No, I would I love like that. Kind of, I mean, that's like, that's an easy, that's a no brain answer. You should put Brian on here, Brian. That'd um, be great. But if you've already done the canvas thing, I totally get it. He and I divide and conquer. You know what? Uh, Donnie Mattia. Not only do I want to like be like that guy, I also want to dress like him. He's just he's just a beautiful human being in, in every in every sense of the word. He's a he's a brilliant restaurateur. Um I love his places. I love being with him. I love meeting his staff. He's killing it. And uh you should put him on your show. All right. Brian Candless and Donnie was it Media? Madia? Yeah. Madia. Look, look how I'm coming after you guys, I would love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know how can we connect with you if you just want to follow what you're up to. Maybe you want to come join your team. What's the best way to connect? Boy, um, the telephone? No, I guess there's no more modern ways. Maybe you like a social handle? <laughs> if you want to use social media, we're out there. Um, if you want to work here, it's nice to show up and we'd love to meet you. But, um, yeah, Beautiful. find us on the Google, on yeah. the worldwide internet of things. We're out there. How about yeah. head over to restaurantsunstoppable.com slash 375. Head over the- to restaurantsunstoppable.com, <laughs> the source of all your restaurant needs. I, I will link to yeah. uh, the website and their social you, handles. Uh, so you Yeah, link, link to canvas.com, and you can follow either Instagram or Facebook. Or <laughs> you can follow Brian. He has his own, which is super cool. He's in a very accomplished photographer. So both he and his wife are, they've got some fun personal ones, but you can follow the restaurants too. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to join us as a guest mentor, to get real, to open up, to be honest, to, 
to share, you know, what was going on behind the scenes with the family and just to, to really open up with us and to uh, let us see you, uh, man, it was a great time talking to you. And, uh, there is, <laughs> there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> yes, that was an awesome episode Man, I'm like on sensory overload right now. That was just one long string of amazing advice. Mark Candless, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, to share your family history, to share what you've learned, being a part of such a great family, what you've learned on your own, how you're taking your your business, Candless Restaurants, to like a whole new direction and just, you know, never ending just redefining and constantly improving uh man like where do you even start like there's so much advice great advice in today's episode um but for me what really resonated with me is the idea of uh of just existing to serve others and realizing that it's not about you it's about everyone else my restaurant touches and that word of taking these words that we take for granted like hospitality and knowing that behind every word that we use to describe this industry is a meaning and to take that meaning literally and to live, to be warm and generous and caring uh, and to make it about everyone else, but you to live, to serve is what it's all about in this industry. If you want to be successful and to wake up every day with that mission can have huge impact not only on your life, but on the lives of so many other people. And man, uh, again, just so pumped to get you on the show, to gather your advice, Mark. It was worth every second getting you on the show. Um, I'm at a loss of words. That doesn't happen often. If you listen to the show often, you know that does not happen often. It was a great time talking to you. And like always, guys, if you're finding value in this podcast, if you're growing, if you're learning, if it's serving you at all, serve others by sharing it. Get this resource out there. The mission of this podcast is to inspire and empower restaurant people around the world to be great. We do that by making an example of great people and we can change this industry. We can really have a huge impact on this industry if this resource is known. So if you know somebody, serve them by you know, giving them this resource, sharing this, this resource with them, sharing this advice, the, these stories with other people in our industry. Uh, and you know, you'd be helping me out too. Uh, I'm not going to lie completely transparent here. You'd be helping me out too. And I'm going to town for you guys. I'm working for you guys. Uh, uh, you know, please share this podcast. Uh, let me know who you want to me to make an example of. I'll get them on the show. Uh, if you have anything you're struggling with, let me know. I'll get an expert on the show. I'll, we'll learn together. And, uh, I'm here for you guys. I want you to know that, uh, just reach out to me, Eric at restaurant Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter in slash restaurant unstoppable on Facebook. Uh, keep those five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher radio coming. We have a hundred reviews total and man, thank you guys so much. If you left one, I appreciate that so much. Uh, I think that's it for today. Thank you guys so much for sticking around this long and until next time, peace out.